All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 80, Going Live with Good Soil. We've been doing this every week for, I think, 80 weeks straight. Maybe we skipped one week, I think, Christmas last year or something. But other than that, I think we've done every Tuesday for 80 weeks straight. Pretty impressive uh, um, streak here. Tesla today is not at a new all-time low. We broke our streak of five Tuesdays in a row of Tesla being at a new low, I think, a new 52-week low, I think, for the last five or six Tuesdays. <laughs> we were live streaming at yeah. new 52-week lows, unfortunately. So today it's down, but it's not a new low. It's just, you know, close to the low. What I'm curious about, though, is it seems that every time we stream over the course of the hour, it drops like, you know, five or ten bucks. So let's see how this, you know, hour goes. And if yeah. it goes up, then maybe that'll be the new kind of bullish technical analysis. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Superstition was the word I was looking for last week. Eric, okay. So we're doing this live on YouTube, our YouTube channel for Good Soul Investment Management. And we're also doing it on Twitter Spaces Live at the same time. I would encourage many more YouTubers who live stream to do it on Spaces at the same time. It's very easy. Um, I have a small sweet thread about it. It's simple. DM me or Matt if you want to know. It's, it's simple, but it increases your exposure. It's good for Twitter and Spaces and so forth. So Let's start. We kick things off with the macro, then we go to Tesla and and Elon Musk and and uh, other interesting stories. If there's anything crypto or other interest, anything interesting about Roblox, Rocket Lab, or Lemonade, we go over that, and then we do Q and A at the end. Total, it's about an hour. So first, macro market Monday. Um, the big thing, macro market this week is the CPI on Thursday. The CPI print, right? I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. really the big thing. But yesterday. There was an inflation expectations report released by the New York Fed, and it seems to have, uh, you know, every, all these little points we have to really keep a close eye on because it all, all these little points in the macro market, all these little reports and prints are supposedly influencing what the Fed is going to do next with interest rates, you know, and um, or when they're going to pivot their language before they pivot the actual lowering rates or pausing rates and so forth. So, um, what what was your take on the inflation report, man? I, I know you took a look at it. Yeah, so so this is from the New York Fed, and they had two data points. One was the their one year inflation expectations, and the other is their their five year, so a shorter term and a longer term inflation expectations. Their their one year out inflation expectation they actually lowered, so it was at five point two percent, and they lowered that down to five point zero percent. So that certainly indicates that they're you know kind of seeing some signs of what we've been talking about for a long time and, and what Elon was talking about several months ago that, you know, the kind of leading indicators of inflation are kind of showing that the, the rate is coming down quite a bit. Um, but then the, the five-year inflation expectation, which is obviously a longer term view, uh, they actually increased that from 2.3% to 2.4%. So it's kind of interesting that they're bringing down the short-term forecast while simultaneously raising the longer-term forecast. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of a, a mixed report, but to me, it just, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, what are they like, first of all, who trusts the feds inflation views when they can't even get like the rear view mirror, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like how, yeah. so how are they going to get years like two through five accurate, uh, yeah. when, when they've been like so bad at the short term. So like, I, I just, it doesn't even make sense. Like what, what are they seeing that will, you know, increase the longer term while the, the one year is going down. So. It's yeah, just... and they've they've noted that in their language recently, some of the Fed uh, governors or or some of the board they've been talking the last few days, and even uh, Jamie Dimon this morning, I, who who allegedly you know he's like the top 
banker individual in the country. So of course he's probably, mm -hmm. if they're talking to any, any finance people that are in the private sector, it would be Jamin Dimon would be probably like on the list you'd think. So he's probably had discussions with fed. And I, I think it would be great if Elon Musk could talk to the fed, you know, we put, he, he mentioned yeah. he'd be open to talking to them in like a Twitter spaces or something. And I don't see why they wouldn't want to talk to like, the top businessman of our time <laughs> who's manufacturing the most and of American made cars right now and so forth. So I don't see why they wouldn't talk to him, but they're talking to Jamie diamond. Apparently I, I yeah. that's my suspicion. And he's well, saying probably was like, yeah, what were you saying, Matt? I was just gonna say, they probably talked to Mary Barra before they talked to Elon Musk. Oh, let's be honest. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. That's an awful joke. That's like a dad joke right there. So, so uh, except that it's real, so it's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's real. That's why it's oh, it's awful. But there's like some truth to it, you know. That's what makes jokes funny sometimes, I guess. But so, uh, what I'm thinking is, why is the Fed <clears throat> trying to position itself to keep rates high or raise them higher than everyone thinks, even when the inflation reports we're seeing today are show that inflation has come down? Like the the, the CPI report on Thursday that we're all looking at. The, the the Cleveland Fed has their own, they call it now casting. It's like their own prediction of what the month over month is going to be, you know, and it changes leading up to it. It's usually pretty close. It's not too far off usually, usually within like 10 basis points or something like that. Well, it's saying for December, the month over month is 0 0.12. Okay. That's like, mm -hmm. you know, that's a 2.4% annualized rate, you know, for December, right? Um, yeah. And so that's that's right on target with what they want. And that's the month over month. And it's been low most of the last several months anyway. I mean, so the most current month over month inflation numbers, it's showing a trend down to like 2%. And yet the Fed is like talking up that they think long-term inflation is going to be higher than we expect, like you said, with this report. Yeah. It just seems so suspicious to me. Like like there's some inflation <laughs> boogeyman they want to fight and make sure it never comes back and they're going to like over tighten to make sure it doesn't come back even though we've beaten it or something. Yeah, which is so interesting because, you know, the the one year or, or sorry, the, the, the kind of month over month figure, like you said, is already within target. Um, yeah. But based on the, the New York Fed data that we already saw, they're expecting inflation to creep back up in sometime over the next couple months. The next 12 months so like if the the next month's rate is you know less than the you know the two percent uh annualized rate if you compound that compound that month that that one year one month figure over 12 months i think that what's the math it's like uh 1.8 percent or something something like that i did the math yesterday um oh, yeah. yeah yeah so so right. like 0 0.12 i'm thinking 24 months but 12 months yeah it's like 1.4 percent compounded or 1.3 yeah yeah it's ridiculous yeah exactly so so if you do that math, then what the Fed is implying when they say that the the one year CPI forecast or inflation forecast is 5.4% is that at some point in the future, not this month, they think the inflation is going to rise. But what is the basis for that assumption? Like yeah. when all the commodity prices are coming down, when the like, home sales are getting hit really hard, like the economy is clearly slowing. And, and the decision right now that they're talking about is whether to raise 25 or 50 basis points. It's not whether yeah. they're comfortable where they are. So to me, it's like, yeah, there, there's clearly this bias towards um, overcorrecting on the downside, which will, you know, really hurt the economy, will you know certainly hurt jobs, uh, will certainly hurt the stock market. And then which I, like out of Powell's own mouth, he said, we'll just we've got the tools to fix it on the back end. So mm -hmm. it's just it's just kind of crazy because they're, they're accelerating I, into the wall. I have two theories or two, I have two theories for why this is the case right now, why it's so confusing to us to put this together. 
You want you want to hear them, Matt? Yeah. Two theories. Let's, let's okay. hear. It. The first theory is that um, it's almost like anti-signal they're putting out, like not noise, sort of like anti. They're they're, they're trying to strong mouth raising rates long term to keep that in our mind so that we don't know the, the the masses, all of us investors, everyone in the general public who's looking at forward interest rates and, you know, setting forward interest rates and discussing what they're going to do with their business in the future. They don't, um, they don't think that the fed's going to start lowering rates in the next few months back to, you know, towards 2% or whatever, lower them substantially from here. Because if we all started thinking that the fed's ready to lower rates soon, guess what happens? Then the not only does the stock market start going back up, which maybe they don't necessarily want for another reason, I'll tell you in a second. But more importantly, um, maybe they don't want wage inflation to creep up and they want the economy to be in like a slowdown mode, you know, right now to make sure inflation, you know, is is solved. Because if if too quickly everyone starts lowering rates, uh, if they start lowering rates and then people are still paying for everyone running businesses like, oh, the economy's back to normal already. So I'm just going to keep paying higher wages to get the better employees. And then it just doesn't stop in wage inflation, for example. So that's one theory is that they need us to all think and buy into the to the idea that interest rates are going higher for a longer period, even though they know that that could very well change any time. And the other mm -hmm. theory, what do you think about that theory first? Do you think that's plausible or no? Or do you think that's too insincere? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think they, they definitely want that to happen. <laughs> like yeah. they, they kind of have talked about, you know, kind of, um, I, I don't know if they've explicitly said breaking the, the consumers back, but that definitely seems to be the, 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 um, interpretation of their actions. I mean, every time we get a good employment report, the stock market tanks, it's like, oh no, the economy's yeah. too good. Like the fed's going to screw yeah. us over for longer. So, okay. Yeah. What's, so what's the second theory? So, so my second theory, and you tell me what you think the likelihood of both are afterwards. Maybe I'm just crazy conspiracy theorist guy, or I don't know. But the second theory I have is the last like five years or seven, you know, seven years, whatever, the last five years before they started raising rates, when you look at it from like a, when you stand back and kind of look at it from a historical perspective, it's kind of nutty with zero, with like close to zero interest rate. The last five years of zero interest rates basically has been really nutty, like not just because of COVID, but and everyone had to stay at home, but like, look how many crazy startups there's been, you know, like people are starting up anything and everything out of their garage, just with an idea and a PowerPoint presentation, getting millions of funding, millions of dollars of funding, you know, like it was like a big game. Startup founders were just like salespeople selling ideas to get tons of funding and not even producing and then moving on to the next startup. It was like serial entrepreneurs, not even producing things, just getting rounds of capital from all kinds of investor, FOMO angel investors that had free access to you know, free interest rates and there's just huge money supply. And then there's like this crypto craziness that popped out of nowhere sort of for like the Fed and the, you know, lawmakers and such like, how do we control Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies now, NFTs. And it's just, the world got a little weird for a while for the people in charge. I feel like, you know, it was like, how do we corral this? This is a little nutty. Like people are leaving their jobs of like doing productive things for society to stay at home and, create digital signatures they can try to sell for much more money. This is just a backwards world. How do we get out of this? And so they don't want to go back to that. And so they want to make sure everyone is, you know, making an, what they may, what, what people see as an, you know, it just, it just, it just that type of movement to, and I don't see how there's like a coordinated effort necessarily, but that type of environment, maybe there's like high level discussions or something where like, we don't want to 
set the stage for that type of environment in our economy again that was like poisonous to the future of society or something they think i don't know but that's my conspiracy thinking of why they want to keep interest rates high what do you think about that one i i mean i don't know that it's so much of a conspiracy i mean <clears throat> There's been a lot of commentators, that, and and frankly, I think there's truth to, to both the points that you made. Um, I mean, when when board ape yacht club like JPEGs <laughs> yeah. are selling for more than a house, like that's yeah. that's looking a little frothy to me. And at the time, yeah. I was I was commenting on that, like to, like what's the staying power of this? Like in ten years, isn't this going to look a little kitschy? Like like yeah. is it even at all remotely possible that like these are going to have the the same kind of pricing power in 10 years. And like, nobody ever wanted to talk about 10 years of even of like the board ape uh, or the NFT, whoever's that, that were like super optimistic about all this stuff. So I think, you know, there are a lot of, you know, the, the kind of seasoned veterans that have been through a bunch of cycles that just look at something like that. And they're just like, what the heck? Like people are staying yeah. home to, to work on projects like these. And there was a lot of like outright fraud in the crypto space. Um, yeah so absolutely yeah like i i think and, and i like i sympathize with those views honestly like like we yeah. should things were a little bit too frothy um yeah and, things were and so, crazy. people were leaving their job people made a bunch of like you know i personally benefited in the stock market greatly with tesla and all that and i was able to leave my job but you know people were doing the same thing just buying and selling nfts and cryptos you know and leaving their jobs to be able to just like retire off of like large amounts of wealth they made from nft building out nfts you know or whatever and it was just getting weirder and weirder every year there was like this new weird iteration of where it was going you know yeah did you ever see, like see that people guy he he would yeah just do like some digital art every day and i, I don't really follow him that closely but i didn't particularly yeah. care for the stuff that he was putting out but it was you know yeah. It, it, it's admittedly cool interesting at least cool looking yeah but he was like similar to a million dollars yeah. in like a yeah. couple of years it was just like insane yeah. amounts of money insane. um yeah. yeah so it's it's certainly a good thing i think that um uh, people are getting back to like truly value-added jobs in society and and I'm, I'm curious if you've heard a bit about this but um like on on the all-in podcast chamath was talking about how he hadn't really looked at his household budget in like two years and he was like yeah. kind of surprised at how much he was spending and so he started yeah. like reining that in my wife yeah. and i had just done the same thing and we're like you know like we've been spending way too much money we haven't really been tracking our like monthly expenses too closely let's like yeah. rein that in like i heard from like three other people randomly all in the course of about a week that had kind of gone through the same exercise and so if that is indicative of, of any type of like kind of like broader trend which i think it probably is because mm -hmm. uh, i'm not regularly talking to people about like their household budgets but if, if yeah. people are doing that across the board um then like that's got to be deflationary too so yeah. you, like stacking all these things together i do think the economy is going to be in in a in tough position uh you know this year but that'll be deflationary and so i think the fed policy yeah. is going to have to change at some point so my question is if the fed really wants to keep rates high they're determined and they're telling the public they're keeping rates high because they want to keep inflation away and they don't want inflation to come back even though they think they've solved it temporarily they say but like you said if we actually enter a deflationary environment where the cpi print let's say on thursday instead of positive 0.12 month over month what if it's negative 0.2 and then the next month it's negative 0.3 next month it's negative zero can they even keep interest rates high if we're in a deflationary environment is that even like what do you think from a macroeconomic perspective would that like what would that do yeah like uh, i we seem to be in the minority in this view and and honestly i don't i don't think that 
we're kind of expecting expecting deflation just out of like hopes that like the Fed will pivot and then like Tesla will go to the moon. It, to me, it's just this looking at all the leading indicators. I, mean, I posted um, um, a, a note about like the Henry Hub natural gas prices today and how those were at like five, eight, nine dollars per MMBTU for like almost all of last year. And they're finally coming back down sub four dollars now. I think it was like three sixty something this morning. Um, and, and that is such a huge uh, driver of inflation because it affects the input cost for so many uh, just like components that use, you know, natural gas for some sort of industrial mm -hmm. process. It's it really sets the clearing prices for electricity and wholesale markets because natural gas yeah. power plants are like kind of on the verge of like, uh, do they get dispatched or not? Uh, and yeah. that's entirely driven on the, the spot price of natural gas. So so like if these. If that price stays low or, or like back to the three dollar range which is where it was for like forever because when when we had this like glut of natural gas um all the, the the kind of economics of it is it's profitable to get out of the down or to get out of the ground for us um producers at roughly three dollars which is where it is right now it's like just over three uh but it's unprofitable like sub three so that's it's kind of like this this floor where a bunch of new supply will come online at roughly three dollars so now that we've gotten through this kind of crazy um, disruption of supply chain and like um, just, you know, prices getting out of whack to me, we're going to settle back down into that, you know, like roughly three dollar range, which will lead electricity prices lower. And so then yeah. as you just as that takes um, effect over the next you know six months, call it um, through the supply chain and, and through the economy like that will absolutely be a deflationary pressure, a very meaningful one in my mind across a variety of inputs in, in the economy. So I, I I just looking at all the data and the slowing economy and people watching their spending, I don't understand how we could possibly have like very meaningful inflation going forward from here. So yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I'm I'm becoming more and more convinced that the Fed's gonna have to change policy. I think so too. Um I think they're gonna try to scare us all as much as possible until that time happens that they're gonna keep rates high and then it'll be like a a swift change. And I, you know, I wonder what the stock market will do at that time. Will it be a quick, you know, covering of shorts and 10% pull move forward in a week or, or what, when, when it becomes somewhat clear that the Fed is changing their language and ready to pause and even reverse rates or something like that. So, yeah, I think it's possible. We see that um, in the next six months sometime. Um, but for the next, until that happens, the market could get scared and down another 10 or 20%, even who knows, yeah. lots of things can happen. So I see um, <clears throat> Andrew Bazile saying chat GPT and the like may reduce the need for white collar workers. I think there's, there's truth to that chat GTP. I've been playing with it. I know a lot of people have been playing with it. Um, just like Dolly, you know, um, was also very novel and cool to use for things. And we've used, we've tried to explore using it for like thumbnails, but it's still like, it's novel and new. But I'm not like I want to see it actually being used. Like I hear, I hear stories of people using ChatGTP in their daily work for help, you know, for things, and that's good. But I personally, I have not experienced. I've experienced the idea of trying to use. Like I've tested it out with like, hey, if I start a restaurant, what's my business plan? What should I call it? Give me some kind of cool names that I could potentially use for the name, like uh, of my like the peppers porridge or something like that. You know, like different names <laughs> that I thought were kind of cool. But like I don't trust 
I don't trust it for really important things. Like my putting my money to work for a business. Like I would have to look over everything it's telling me. Like, and maybe it gives me some initial idea, but I'm still going to have to spend time looking over and adjusting because I know it's just scraping the internet from all the information from up to 2021. It doesn't even have the latest information, number one. And number two, it gets things wrong. Like if you argue with it about like, energy matt you'll find all kinds of like idiosyncrasies that all these little wrinkles that they had that you really just can't trust it but for someone that doesn't know much about energy and if i ask energy questions about energy efficiencies it'll give me answers that sound really professional and i'll be like oh that's great i'm gonna use that but i would be wrong to do that because there's all these little wrinkles in it you know so yeah. i think people are realizing that and for very general normal things it's probably useful but for anything specialized that there's money at stake i'm not sure people are trusting it for that use case yet. And I'm not sure when that'll happen. Any thoughts on that? Like chat GGP? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a coder, but I have heard from several coders and, you know, James Dalma even saying that he's found it incredibly useful for coding, which mm -hmm. to me, like that makes sense in a, in, in a way, because coding is like a very like right or wrong kind of language where Translation. You know, it's like translating yeah. your 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 ideas into coding. Yeah, that makes sense. Like e I saw exactly. someone translate a whole a, a Tesla China article interview with Grace uh, Tao yesterday from e exactly. So so I think there are use cases like that that are you know very value add that you know do save people time that are you know incrementally it's like very positive for the economy and for you know like people's uh, efficiency in, in their workday. But yeah, for like all the stuff that I've tried to use it on, you know, for like stuff that we do at Good Soil or like I've tried like even drafting emails and I just, it doesn't sound like me, you know, so, like it's just yeah. not words that I would use. And so I just don't yeah. feel comfortable, you know, relying on it. Cause like, you, like your energy example was perfect. Like I've, I've even tried like a couple technical things that I know a lot about and I'm just like, yeah. it's kind of missing the boat with what I would do. So, yeah. um, you know, if I was like, a stupid high school kid that didn't know anything like i would absolutely be using this to like do my homework and like write my yeah. papers um you gotta get by with it for that yeah you could get by with it but then like thinking about like how i would write 20 years ago versus now that i know a couple things and you know yeah. i have you know localized expertise in a few areas it's like it, it just i 100 would not use it for anything like that yeah yeah i mean i think it's an interesting i i, I just i'm not convinced just like i was never convinced that Board Ape NFTs was going to be the next Black American Express card for everyone in the future or whatever people were marketing it as. You know, something new comes out. We all get excited about it so quickly. It's the next new thing everyone's excited about. But sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and, and things don't turn out. They don't pan out the way we're excitedly they, they will. I mean, I, I think there's promise in the technology, but it just might take more time than people expect, you know, like... It might not, might ChatGP for generalized things is helpful now, but for anything specific, very, you know, that's a lot of money on the line. I don't think people are going to trust it for a while for that type of stuff. So we'll see. So yeah. anyway, um, that could just be my ignorance. I don't know. I'm sure there's like people, big fans of ChatGP like, hey, you're, you don't understand. You're missing the, you know, so let's go on to <laughs> Tesla. We'll talk. We'll, that's just my thoughts on that. But we'll go on to the, the the big thing. Tesla's come up almost a dollar since we started talking. All right, let's keep it going. So Tesla, <laughs> right? Tesla, China price change. That's the big, uh, big news, I think, of the week, right? I mean, w w is there anything bigger than the Tesla China price drop? Uh uh, that you can think of. I think that's the biggest thing we should No, about, that right? that's definitely the big thing. I mean, that was like the huge concern was demand in China. I think that's that's what like triggered the whole rundown or you know, collapse in Tesla in Q4 was 
you know, just the, the China demand was really slumping. So um, we were expecting a price increase. We didn't know when. I was kind of surprised that it didn't happen like right away on January 1st. Um, but then, you know, sure enough, it came. Were you surprised at the magnitude, Emmett? You know, roughly was yeah. between five and $10,000 roughly between depending on which model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised at the magnitude until people showed like the chart of how the price increases. It's basically yeah. just going against what the price increases were for the last like six or nine months or a year or whatever, and just going slightly below the lowest price it was in the past, you know, and that makes sense if, if inflation has come back down and they've gotten efficiencies and scaling with rights law going, that makes sense to me that they can keep margins stable at this new capacity with, you know, efficiencies and no more inflation and, and such. I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, like they they need they needed to to do something pretty drastic. Um, the surprising thing I thought was like the mixed reports that we were getting out of China. One was like that there would be like the same picture of like a crowded store, and it's on the one hand the bulls are saying like, oh, like look at all these customers flocking to the stores to buy Teslas. Like yeah. the website is down because yeah. there's so much demand. And then like the like the Taylor Ogans of the world are like posting the same thing and saying, oh, look at all these unhappy customers like protesting tesla because yeah. they of yeah. the price increase yeah. it's like it's so hard to get like trustworthy yeah. data on what's actually going on uh yeah. on the ground there I, I, yeah. I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle a little bit yeah I and mean, we talked to our source uh we touched base with him on the ground the guy we interviewed about tom zoo and uh i trust him he seems very um honest and and uh fair uh minded when it comes to tesla and and, and knows the space well in china and he said 99 percent of those reports that people complained are untrue and that it's like a lot of uh clickbaity stuff that like you know sure five or six people gathered together the day after at a few showrooms but it was all peaceful protests and no fights or anything and no violence and 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 as soon as you know as soon as they brought up their points they were dismissed with the same explanation that kind of Grace um, gave in her interview about, you know, margins coming down and they went away. And sure, there's going to be some social media people that want to make a spectacle of it. Right. And they know it'll get clicks and yeah. go crazy over a Weibo or whatever. Just like the, the lady who stamped on the roof about the brake failure. Remember, that was like the first yeah. thing. So that formula works. It got her a ton of followers and influence, I'm sure. And she was like very popular all over Weibo and social media for a while. And now other people are trying to use that same formula to like create a spectacle of some sort and have this video or picture go viral where they get a whole bunch of social media influence suddenly and they become an influencer of some sort. So I suspect there's a lot of that going on in China, maybe more so than we even can we even see going on. I mean, that goes on here in the U.S. too, but maybe I feel like that goes on more in China now than, than we even suspect that type of kind of uh, desire for fame. It, it, yeah, it, it does seem like that sort of thing gets more viral attention than it does in the U.S. Like, you know, I, if I went and like stomped on the hood of a Rivian and said like, oh, it almost killed my family. Like people would not like they'd be like, oh, what's wrong with that guy? Yeah, you know, it wouldn't it, go viral. It seems like like it definitely would not. Although you had like, that and, one and video. Mostly... Remember you had that one video of trying to open your door and that went viral. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> Who's who would have yeah, thought that, was, so... that probably got you 10,000 followers. Who knows? It, it was, yeah, that was crazy. That was like 
by far. It has something like 25 million impressions. Just oh my like my, my door handle was stuck. Yeah. Um, and apparently all you need to do is just like like bash it with your fist. But I just didn't know that. Yeah. And that works fine. So yeah. like it was such not a big deal. But like the Tesla Q community just like ran with it. And just like, oh, like you can't use a Tesla in cold weather because the yeah. doors will freeze. And there's something about so, like, yeah, actual I, video like versus someone talking. There's something about actual video footage even if it's like a like a 10 second like look at tiktok right how quickly it's gone up like oh. there's something about those 10 second clips of like a person actually experienced something and you can feel like them and put yourself in their position and it goes viral versus like someone saying a few words you know it's just it's yeah uh, it it tiktok's like the reverse opium wars it's like this chinese import into america that's making us all more stupid and less efficient and yeah like less able to think critically it's it's just oh it's 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 horrible yeah. and like i've i've tried around like looking at youtube shorts which is obviously like pretty much the same thing yeah and that's it's so addictive it's it like it's awful There's, we really need as a society i think to find ways to like not let our kids and or ourselves even just like get stuck on that stuff because it's it's ridiculously addictive yeah absolutely so i mean what else anyway with, uh, we, we, we've gone all over the place if <laughs> we had yeah, an outline what we, we, tesla? yeah what else do we have on tesla for today i'm looking at my outline uh so there was the the u.s inventory levels that was one thing that was a little bit surprising um you know if you do the the tracking of the yeah. inventory new inventory available for sale um, when Tesla had that that uh, price cut at the end of the year, at the end of 2022, the new inventory level just plummeted like down close to zero. Um, then after the new year, we were kind of expecting um, that sort of trend to continue because the IRA credits would be in effect. But with the uncertainty around which models qualify, and, and you know, yeah. there's been reports that the Tesla, you know, um, they're employees, not doing, but like employees like won't even talk about the IRA. So they're not going to say if you qualify or not. So I think there's this um, this thing which should be a catalyst and I think will be eventually, but um, it is apparently not uh, being a catalyst for the moment because consumers are just so uncertain um, about whether they'd even qualify for them and it's not being pushed by Tesla. Um, yeah. So the inventory levels have, have really spiked quite high in, in the first couple of, of days of, of January. So uh, that's something definitely to keep a close eye on, because if that yeah. trend continues, then um, I think we should expect a price cut in the U.S. Um, or some other sort of, you know, kind of promotion <laughs> to um, yeah. to clear that inventory. Yeah, I'd be curious. Is there any way to check like inventory letters of inventory levels of all the other um evs that are not teslas i mean I, I know they're like held at dealerships is different because if there was inventory levels building up of the other evs that presumably are available you know for the the tax credit right now um but there's a build-up instead of those being sold off then you might presume that people are just holding off in, on their ev purchase altogether whether to whether it's going to be a tesla or something else until they figure out until they get clarity on whether the model y or model three you know um uh, you know gets the deduction i don't know I, I feel like people are pretty smart when they're spending a lot of money like a car purchase they're not going to just you know some people will just you know buy it like uh any you know without thinking too hard about it maybe but i think a lot of people are very uh um careful about a, such a large purchase and they want to say you know just like in china with the price cut people are sensitive to that people in the u.s are very sensitive too i think a lot of people want to get the, the best deal and don't want to miss out on like a huge seventy five hundred dollar you know tax deduction 
by just not waiting a week or two to just to figure out if that really qualifies or not. And if it doesn't, maybe they actually would go to like a Chevy bolt or whatever instead, you know, but they're waiting. I think, you know, that's my suspicion. There's a, a, a large group of, you know, savvy, smart buyers kind of just w- waiting. That's my thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, th- that makes sense. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's pretty clear that, you know, the, the economy is softening and, uh, I, I was not thinking that, that, us would have to have a price credit because of the ira but given the you know as as far as that has said like the irs essentially just screwed uh um tesla with with the qualification of the model y um you know that i think that would that came as a surprise and so we we may need to if that doesn't change soon then i think we probably are going to need to see a a price cut here in the states yeah yeah. And Farzad sent us an interesting uh, metric and infographic, you know, sort of about um, new vehicle day supply by major brands as of the end of November 2022. And from a, like a big picture historical perspective, you know, this sort of makes sense. Uh, at some point, Tesla would be in the line down the middle of the healthy supply line at some point, maybe in the future. Uh, and I'll just retweet this right now um, so people can see what, what Farzad had. I, I've seen this before, too. Um, but it's a good infographic to keep in the back of your mind for, you know, down the road at some point, Tesla should be in that like middle line, closer to that middle line. And 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 you could say maybe they're getting closer to it now, but it just doesn't sit right with me at the moment with uh, such a sudden increase in inventory, you know, coincidentally with, you know, the end of the year, that $7,500 deal getting, you know, coming off the, by Tesla coming, com, coming off. So, you know, it, it just feels like, there's certainly a bubbling up of supply. Uh, pe- people lack not wanting to to purchase their car yet. It seems like uh, the last two week or since January first, you know. So yeah, hopefully well, we'll get clarity from the IRS on those IRA guidelines very soon, so that you know we can see what happens yeah. with Tesla. And as as Tesla investors, I think it, it's easy to forget <laughs> that like auto sales are you know seasonal on, on top of being cyclical. So mm-hmm. you know Q1 is historically the weakest. Um, you know, quarter for, for car sales, just in general, um, you know, people don't like to go out in the cold. They've just spent a lot of money on, you know, the holidays and Christmas. And so uh, for whatever reason, you know, Q1 is just generally a weak quarter anyways. And I think, was it back in 2020? I, I want to say, you know, there was, there was weak um, sales in, in Q1 and like they had to, Tesla had to cut prices. And so a lot of maybe newer Tesla investors are kind of surprised that Tesla would ever cut prices or that like there is any, seasonality in in auto but like this is this is really not new i mean the, the last two years like we were talking about were extreme in the economy for a variety of reasons and so you know tesla had to raise prices just because the backlog got so extreme yeah uh, but now yeah. we're kind of in a more normal situation i think Tesla's obviously going to continue to to gain market share uh, but that doesn't mean that they've got unlimited demand the way that they seem to you know 12 months ago yeah yeah and i see uh drk in the youtube comments saying we're not going to get clarity from the irs until march um you know on their decision for i you know any ira adjustment clarity or guidelines i guess so if that's true you know we're in for uh uh you know six or eight weeks of uncertainty here i think with tesla supply demand imbalance in the u.s you know i'm not saying there is a supply i think there's going to be uncertainty around what the imbalance really is and how it'll get cleared up uh, as as that clarity from the IRS comes about. Because I would imagine if Tesla's going to put another 
you know, $5,000 price break on all the Teslas, you know, if they're weighing whether or not to do that, they also want to wait until they get clarity from the IRS on this, you know, before they decide to put that into effect, right? So I would imagine if Tesla was going to do something like that, that wouldn't be until March if that's when we're waiting until to get um, clarity from the IRS. Yeah, I mean, and they could do some stuff in the meantime. I mean, I've seen some people speculate on making the seven seat Model Y like the standard. Um, so like maybe you could do that. Like there's, there's even this crazy idea, which maybe isn't so crazy of like adding a 300 pound, like lead weight to all vehicles, like to qualify for the credit, which is just yeah. ridiculous. And then have like enable it to be removed for free at the time of delivery or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Tesla would be, you know, quite that direct in terms of, um, like gaming the system, but I think there are things they could do to like tweak pricing to, to get consumers to opt for these, um, you know, vehicles that do qualify, but, um, yeah, it's, it kind of remains to be seen. And, and the fact that the, even ones that, which very do clearly qualify for the IRA today, like the, the, for everything I've heard is that like the sales associates at Tesla are not like saying, yes, like if you want to qualify for the IRA, here's the, here's the one you should buy. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's an opportunity. Like clearly it's going to lead to inventory building up and, and maybe some pricing pressure in the, in the near term, but like eventually it's going to be clear like which ones qualify and which ones don't and like Tesla's going to be trained to like push those and so uh we we certainly do have some uncertainty right now but like whenever the clarity does come and Tesla starts like pushing that demand lever uh I, like <laughs> to me that's just the opportunity so yeah. uncertainty is not fun but uh it's only upside from here I think in, in terms of, of that particular demand issue yeah Absolutely. Now, the other piece of Tesla news we were going to cover, real, I think, is the Cybertruck Gigapress getting shipped to Austin. It seems uh, in time to kind of maybe use it for that March 1st investor day because it takes I've, I've heard from Rob Mauer's podcast. I've heard before that it takes like a month or six weeks to kind of unload and get it ready once it's delivered. So that would time well with uh, the March 1st investor day to kind of showcase it a little bit for the Cybertruck. I mean, that's exciting. And there's also rumors of a cyber, of a IDRA press similar size being delivered to China um, and everyone speculating that it's going to the Shanghai factory in China. And that would make sense. Maybe they're going to produce the gig of the, the Tesla Cybertruck in China for all, all of Asia and all of non-US, you know, deliveries or production of the Cybertruck because you know, there's going to be tons of demand just inside the U.S. for the one in, in Austin. So that'd be pretty neat to have the Cybertruck built both in China and in, in the U.S. at the same time, sort of. Uh, you have any thoughts on that, Matt? Do you think that's likely or what do you think? Yeah, so I'm I, I'm I'm skeptical of Cybertruck being produced in Shanghai. Like to, to me, like the the truck market is like very clearly centered in North America. Um, and so yeah. for them to to be adding that as like a production line, um, when like they haven't even figured out all of the, th this is drastically different than like the model three or the model Y in terms of the, what the production process is going to look like. Like this is the exoskeleton. Yeah. It's a structural battery pack, which they've got a little bit of experience with the new model Y. Um, yeah. but like really this is a brand new manufacturing, um, like experiment that they're going to try to work through. So to me, it seems really unlikely that they'd be making the cyber truck or at least like shipping equipment to, for the cyber truck production yeah. in Shanghai. So I, yeah, I, I think it could be uh, um, like, I think, is it the front castle three is not um, structural yet um, in, in Shanghai, I want to say. So to me, yeah. it made more sense that like maybe it's just kind of that continuous improvement 
um, with the existing lines in, in Shanghai, because you can you can strip mm -hmm. costs out if you, if you if you get like the whole like the front and rear castings done uh, for both the three and the Y. Like to me, that seems like the more low hanging fruit than trying to you know ramp up Cybertruck in two different plants, one of which is in an area which frankly does not have a lot of demand for pickup trucks. So I, to me, it's mm -hmm. I, I was skeptical of that of that being Cybertruck related for at least for Shanghai. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I'm hopefully opti cautiously optimistic or hopefully <laughs> optimistic that, uh, that it is, uh, the Tesla giga cyber truck for Shanghai. I've, I've seen, um, people in China located in China saying there's like huge interest in the cyber truck in China. You know, they don't use their pickup trucks in general is not a huge market in China, but for whatever reason, the cyber truck is such a different, unique design that there's like these online forums dedicated to, the cyber truck and people that like with hundreds of people on him, like saying, I want the cyber, you know, thousands of people. So it's like sort of, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to build the cyber truck in China as well for Chinese consumers primarily and export it to the rest of the world from there as well. So I'm, I'm, I think that'd be pretty neat if that's the case, but it, you know, I'm not putting my, I'm not betting. I'd say 50, 50 odds. That's my odds on it. Okay, I, I'll definitely take the under. <laughs> it, yeah. it does make me uh, think back. So when I was spending some time in China, this was probably 2007, 2008, you know, it's like vast majority like small cars on the road, a lot of bicycles too. But like there was some rich person who had like a full size like GM Hummer on the road and mm -hmm. it just like dwarfed everything. And it was like so clearly like a status symbol and they would just like would park it on like the sidewalk, like wherever they wanted to. And yeah. like, this must be a nightmare to actually drive around these streets, which are not designed for it. So yeah. like, to yeah. me, I could see it being a niche product within China, but maybe not one that's worth, you know, building a dedicated facility there. So yeah, I, I'm at like 10%. To me, you're, it makes a lot more 10%. sense. You're 10%. Oh, okay. I'm at 50, 50. Casting for the model 40, 40, but 50, 50, I'm comfortable with you. You're at 10, 90. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Let's. And the last thing we were going to title our. Uh, I, I said we should title the uh, this the live stream. It should a cool title, like clickbaity title, would be Mega Pack or Mega Dud. You know, there's so much talk about the Mega Pack these days. I mean, it's kind of clickbaity because people are like, "What do you What do you mean the Mega? Is it a Mega Dud? You know, because everyone's getting so bullish on this Mega Pack, it just feels kind of crazy, like bored apes all over again, but for Tesla or something. But there seems to be some truth to it, right? I mean. You really dove into it. Mad Manx has other people we respect. I mean, there's very high margin potential with this mega pack. Keyword being potential. But uh, what are your? Did you have some more info you wanted to talk about with that today? No, I mean, no, no specific info so much as just like you know, I, I have been digging into it a lot, and you know, I think two, maybe two weeks ago, you and I spent a little bit of time on this stream, kind of diving into it and, and really kind of expressing caution, but. Um, you know, there has been a fair amount of stuff that as I've dug into it actually has credibility. So um, I, I think it's it's probably reasonable to to assume that like the, the Lathrop ramp, like that's very clear, like that's happening, that's provable. The, the uncertainty is definitely around the margins. Um, yeah. And so I would certainly, um, you know, express caution around like some of the more optimistic, like 60% margins that were, that were being tossed around for a while. Um, certainly yeah. in the short term, like, I think that's like 0% chance of happening, like in Q4, or Q1. Um, so like, you know, I just, I, I really want to both express caution, but say this is also like a real opportunity that w I think will kind of manifest itself over the next you know year or two. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it's there, there's so much nuance with this. And I've heard like, um, so the zero sum game guy, and there's been a couple yeah. others. I've listened to some, um, you know, like live streams that they've done. And it's, it's, it's very clear, or, or Twitter spaces, that they actually don't have an energy background. So like, they're, they've got some really good points, but there's some other stuff that they're just like way off about or like just clear they don't mm. really know what they're talking about with respect to this industry so i don't mean that to denigrate them it's, it's just super complicated industry um yeah. so i would just express caution to everybody <clears throat> this is a very very complicated industry like i was a finance like generalist for my whole career basically up until i joined the energy industry like i got very good at quickly analyzing a company in any industry and kind of understanding its prospects energy is just like completely different especially when you, you get into electric utilities so yeah. um just i would urge caution but i also do think that it's it's um, a legitimate opportunity so we'll probably yeah. have more details to share over time but yeah. um and i'm i am talking to, to farzad on this tomorrow so we'll get into yeah. some more of the specifics than, than we can today on this stream but um yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's gonna be a wild ride i think because i think the one thing that that zero sum has pointed out which is legitimate is that like nobody's giving any credit at all to Tesla yeah. energy like in yeah. 2023 or, or beyond and there definitely is reason that you should give some credit um yeah so uh, it's uh it has the potential I think to really get analysts to look uh, readjust their their projections and, and come up with some new stuff so I'm curious to see on this Q4 call in a couple of weeks like how much they address it whether the margins actually do increase a little bit. I'm sure the revenues will increase, um, mm -hmm. but there's some reasons that it's going to take longer to roll through their financial statements as well, just due to revenue recognition and stuff. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward yeah, to hearing you talk in detail with Farzad tomorrow. Is anyone else going on with you guys or is it just the two of you? Do you know? I, I think it's just me. Um, okay. That, yeah. I think they, Farzad, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were you were talking about a couple other people at one point, but I think you settled on just me. So okay, well, you still got a lot of wealth of knowledge on this to go for hours on uh, Mega Pack, you know, details. And <laughs> Farzad says my title of uh, Mega Pack or Mega Dud is only a six out of nine for clickbait title. I think it's like a nine out of ten. I don't even know. I don't even know the scale only goes to nine. You invented a new scale, Farzad. You should be saying six out of ten. In the YouTube comments, so you said six out of nine. I think it's That's like odd. a four out of 20 kind of thing. I yeah, think yeah. The meme it's a four out of 17. Four out of 17, yeah. <laughs> so, Farzad, I would challenge you, okay? I challenge you, Farzad, on tomorrow's video to title it Mega Pack or Mega Dud. If you title it that, I challenge you that it will be at the highest 80 percentage of your of your uh of, of your subscriber watches uh versus all your other videos just because of the title alone is going to be so <laughs> so amazing so you have a much more popular <laughs> channel than us it would be a good test for you but you know i think if you if you name it mega pack or mega dud with a question mark i think so many people will be like what oh is it a dud really let me watch this and they're gonna click on it to watch it so there you go he, he you're going to get 4.20% of the revenue ad share. So okay, you should have good. like a solid 69 cents coming your way. I mean, okay. All right. And, and far as I like, I, I keep expecting you to, to have some more crazy um, like headshots in, in your thing. You used to do that all the time. So if you want one, yeah. you can use that little uh, clip right there for the, uh, for the thumbnail. And did you see someone else comment that I saw someone in the comments Stu said that zero sum left Twitter. I saw that he yeah, put a tweet I, out I, that he left Twitter too, because people were trolling him too much or something. That's, that's sad. Yeah, I, I did hear that. I didn't see the, the tweet in particular, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It, like the, these, 
some of the stuff he was saying was so extreme. Oh, Farza said he's back already. So like I <laughs> I really value the the work that he's put out, but at the same time, like the confidence with which it's expressed, I think, is unfounded. Um so yeah. I, 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 think, I urge caution that way. I think what also kind of doesn't like irk me, it just makes me I think trolls more likely to attack as well is when it's a, an anonymous Twitter handle. Like yeah, you know. When you're an anonymous sounding Twitter handle, I mean, that sounds like an anonymous zero sum 33 or whatever, you know, he's got, you know, he's disclosed, you know, but no one knows who this person is the person. So therefore the person is not really taking accountability. You know, you don't know. His he he does have okay. a link to his LinkedIn profile, or at least oh, he, he used to, I don't know if he still does. So okay. it's in a roundabout yeah. way, at least. And I can understand people you know. don't want to show their identity and that's fine. You know, I chose to show my identity. Matt's chosen to show his identity, you know, as far as a lot of people chose to choose to show who they are. And some people don't want to, I don't understand that. But when you don't show your identity, it leads to a lot of suspicion. And I think it also lends itself to a lot more potential trolling than you otherwise would have. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind, I guess. But, you know, people, for whatever reason, don't want to show who they are. And that's okay, too. And I respect that. Um, so anyway, we've talked a lot about this stuff. Let's go to Q&A. All right, Q&A. Well, Senti79 on Twitter, update on Rocket Lab. Did you add to your position? If not, are you thinking to add and at what price target? Where do you see the stock in one, two plus years? I mean, I still love Rocket Lab. Um, we have uh, closed a lot of our other equity positions. I mean, we have small positions in Rocket Lab, Lemonade and, um, and Roblox, but most of our fund is dedicated toward Tesla exposure. That's what we know best and that's what we are most confident about. We still, on my personal level, I have more exposure to some other stuff like we talk about, um, obviously, but I'm very confident still in Rocket Lab. I mean, you just look at Virgin Space yesterday, just failed trying to go to orbit, you know, like they had a failed launch attempt going, you know, they're doing a different method where they're trying to launch off like a plane or something so they can be mobile and defense contractors might be attracted to that, you know, being more flexible where to launch into lower earth orbit from in the world. Um, versus dedicated launch pads, let's say. So they have their own unique niche of what they're trying to do with that, but they're still failing. And then you have like this relativity space that Chamath has talked about on the last All In podcast. I don't know if you saw that. And he's talking about relativity space. I'm like, what are you crazy? You, you, how do you ignore Rocket Lab? I mean, every a lot of people seem to ignore Rocket Lab. Yeah. They, have, they have such a successful cadence of launching things to low Earth orbit. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it was kind of hilarious hearing Chamath talk about that because he's like, SpaceX is a clear leader, but then it's relativity. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's just, he's like, obviously, Rocket Lab money. is... That's where his it, money is. His money is in that yeah, stack. Yeah, exactly. Or, or he, that, he's he, talking his book a little bit. Book. Yeah, yeah. They all talk their book on there. And that's okay. That's where, of course, they're going to do that, right? So. Yeah. So No, but I, I mean, I think just to add to that, like... You know the 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 I don't want to say the problem, but the 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 difficult difficulty you know that that we see with you know like Rocket Lab Lemonade and Roblox is just in the current market environment. Um, you kind of need them to either turn the corner on profitability, which most of them are very far away from, um, or you need like the Fed uh, policy to change because otherwise, it's like you, you've got just a, a long runway of. Um, kind of chugging along and, and making incremental progress. And we just don't think that even if they are making big fundamental progress, that uh, it's going to result in outsized returns in the next you know year or two, let's say, absent yeah. some big kind of Fed policy reversal. So just for that reason, I think we like the the risk reward of, of Tesla a little bit more right now. So that's that's really the reason for our kind of portfolio shift more than, you know, anything specifically with, with Rocket Lab. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think... 
a lot of the space companies that are, you know, they've all been hit hard, all the SPACs um, and uh, Virgin Galactic hit hard too. Uh, you know, they're all, they're all hit hard. And I think when Starlink comes around to IPO and Chamath mentioned, and he's an investor in SpaceX too, right? So he did mention that he thinks Starlink will go public in 2023 at some point. And I think that's, you know, I think that's likely too. I'm not sure it's definite, but I think it's more than 50% chance that Starlink goes public in 2023 later this year. Um, and if that happens, I think uh, that valuation he speculated would be like half of SpaceX totals valuation or like 75 billion or I think it was thrown out or something. But if Starlink yeah. goes public at like a $75 billion valuation, right? What's going to happen to all the other space? Like, just like when Tesla went way up, what happened to all the other EV providers, whether it's Lucid, yeah. Rivian, you know, they all drifted up really quickly with it because everyone's like, what's the next best thing? What's the next best one? And so the same thing is going to happen to the other space companies and Rocket Lab will be a benefactor. People take a closer look at Rocket Lab and the others and realize that Rocket Lab is actually the clear second place, I think, to SpaceX and it'll get a nice rewarded well, hopefully in valuation. Um, so yeah. that's my guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that may or may not happen this year. It could happen three years from now. I don't know. So it's hard to say. Yeah. So from Elon Musk, I love that uh, name on YouTube comments, uh, E and then Elon Musk. Okay, question. Is it possible that Tesla stock is cursed by Elon rubbing the powers that be the wrong way, like the Twitter files? Well, the good news, we were going to talk about Elon Musk in general. We didn't get to that on our regular outline because we were getting out of time. We wanted to go to Q&A. But it seems like Elon Musk is not being as controversial the last couple weeks. I think a lot of people have noticed that. And someone saw like uh, – some of his, uh, someone, I think Naveen uh, Negrini, uh, that's his uh, Twitter handle name. He, he messaged me or on a chat group, I'm in something about, uh, you know, a, an idea that like Tesla's, uh, that Elon's close um, circle has been tweeting on Twitter, like messages, sub, 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 uh, sub <laughs> you know, messages to that he, they know Elon is reading of like, stay out of politics. It's not a good game or retweeting Elon's old quote of like politics is like, we're, is at least satisfactory. And even uh, Bill Lee, who's a friend of Elon, said something like, uh, Elon, maybe it's better to be an umpire. And something like that, something along Dave Lee's, you know, recent thread where Elon yeah. probably should stay out of politics. And so it seems like Elon is, you know, he did some of the advice from his close friends or come to his own, you know, uh, decision that he needs to uh, probably tamper it down when it comes to politics. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think he he basically admitted that much when he talked about should he there was that poll should I keep talking about politics or should I shoot my keep shooting myself in the foot, you know? Yeah. You know? And so like he's kind of in a joking way, kind of admitting that yeah, I I, I probably you know stepped a little too close to the uh you know to, to the something fire that was just yeah. a net benefit. Yeah. So um, I I think we'll see him to to back down from that. He's clearly still. Um, intent on releasing the Twitter files. I mean, there was another one that dropped in yeah. last night. So, like, I, I think he's he thinks that the the good of that is is kind of uh, outweighing the the bad that it's caused by. But um, at least with the Twitter files, what seems to be happening is that like people who care about that are like pretty scandalized, and then everybody yeah. else is just like, who cares? Boring. So, like, it's not uh, to me. It's not like so damaging to his brand personally as some stuff about like. Uh, deliberately saying that he's going to vote for Republicans or I, I even forget what some of the more controversial stuff was, but um, you, like the, the kind of sins of Twitter's past management, 
I don't think it's going to get him as, in as much fire as, as some of the stuff that he was doing previously. Yeah. Someone in the YouTube comments, Milan said that, uh, that, that Elon unfollowed Kimball, his brother. Hmm. I, I saw that. Bot, Kimball like unfollowed a, Elon. A, like a bot that apparently reports who he's followed or unfollowed. Uh, yeah. Put that out. I, I mean, they're brothers. But you got to think they're still friends and they still talk. Yeah, but it would be weird that they unfollow each other. I don't know. Yeah, I, it could be. I mean, there's been some speculation, which I think would actually be a good idea. I may be in the minority here, but uh, just for like for appearances sake, there's been a yeah. lot of criticism of like management at Tesla. I think it would actually yeah. be a good thing if Kimball got off the board. I mean, I agree. He's so focused on like food and, and like some other things that are yeah. like not right uh, adjacent to, to what Tesla's mission are or is. Yeah. And it just it's like yeah. to me, it's another attack vector of like if you're going to criticize yeah. uh, Elon's. Yeah, exactly. So just just get rid of that attack vector. Bring somebody else on. Like I heard somebody yeah. saying, like maybe he could bring on Barack Obama. Which I think that'd be I don't great. Know, but, like I think, I think it great. would. You don't know. Help with appearances a lot. Like to I me, think Obama like that's a good trade to him and Tesla. Yeah, that's a very good trade. I'd trade out Kimball Kimball off. for Obama anytime. Yeah. Biden can would not. You know, it would be not. But I think Elon respects and likes Obama genuinely, and it would be yeah. like even if there wasn't all the political uh, people with the Biden administration, I think even if that wasn't there, I think Elon would still want Obama. So you know, the thing is, if he does take Obama, it might be reported as, oh, Elon's taking Obama to become more, friend, you know. But I, I think Obama would be a great add to the board, to be honest, you know. So yeah, it'd be yeah. Nice I mean, it would. I think so. I mean, like they genuinely, genuinely had a good working relationship. Um, Obama, I think, clearly wants to advance like Tesla's mission. Like he, he was, yeah. but, but was definitely on board with that. And I think yeah. he treated Tesla fairly during his time there. And, and it would certainly be, I think, um, an example of Elon like doing something that's not just the, like outright Republican focus, yeah. right? So it would it would kind of dampen a lot of that criticism. So I agree. Um, it, it may help mostly for appearances more than anything. Like I'm not sure that Elon or that Obama would necessarily like come up with like grand new strategies or anything like that that'll help Tesla. But I, I think yeah, uh, it, it probably would help in some yeah. small way. Yeah. Let's go to the next question from T Nelly on YouTube. Tao Lin, which is I think is that um, Grace Tao? Is that her American name? Her English name? Tao Lin, Tesla China VP. Just mm, said. Oh, maybe I don't know. I think so. I think it is. Just said China will not produce a Model Two. She dispelled that rumor. Apparently, do you think Tesla? And she also dispelled the Tesla phone and that uh, um, Tom Shu is uh, second in command and and something else. I forget. That's that, according to this interview published. Do you think Tesla will instead focus on driving costs down on Model Three to that twenty five thirty thousand price point? If not, why no prototype yet? That's a good question. I think that this Highlander project that seems to have a lot of uh, wheels to it. Uh, um, the uh, it's like basically redesigning the Model Three to be a lower cost, more efficiently manufactured, and a better car. Right? I mean, it's just like just like the top Model S had its big refresh with the Plaid and originally. Yeah. I feel like the Highlander is like that version for the Model Three, maybe, and maybe that's like the next kind of big vehicle in china borrowing the robo taxi what do you think yeah so my, my gut reaction is actually exactly what farzad says in the comment that everything tesla china has dispelled they said like i think there was something like there were seven rumors recently that <clears throat> tesla china came out and like officially denounced and then all yeah. all of them within a month later it was like no actually that was true so like the the price cuts mm -hmm. they dispelled like back in october and then they did them um yeah. price cuts again and um 
So like to me, I, I really just don't think that this is necessarily um, <laughs> indicative of, of anything true. Um, but like maybe it's not like maybe they don't call it the the model two or something like that. Like I think they're very clearly going to continue lowering costs. So maybe there's no official plans yet, and that's where this is coming from. Or maybe it is like you said, it's just like a, a this Highlander project that's going to come through and kind of do the same thing that a model two would. Um, yeah. So to to me, it's like very clear clear that the costs are going to continue to come down, the price points are going to continue to come down, and and that's going to help. China to um, reach more market share within the domestic market, which is the biggest EV market in the world. So um, I, I I don't put a whole lot of weight in this, you know, <laughs> this rumor, honestly. Yeah, no, me neither. So from William PMCD on YouTube comments, are there any strong Chinese EV, EV contenders that are not commonly discussed not traded on U.S. markets. Well, BYD is traded as an ADR, as American Depository Receipt, I think, in the U.S. market. So it's not really uh, um, or in the pink sheets. Maybe it's on the pink sheets, actually. It's not even an ADR, I forget. So it's not, yeah, it, like Xiaopeng and Yao, they're like traded as ADRs, I think. But Or maybe I have that backwards. But um, that's one that's not discussed em- enough. I think it's been discussed more in the last month because of their volumes that are surging, BYD. Um, but I think their margins are like close to zero and the majority of their cars are like plug-in hybrids, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think they're, they're selling a ton of like 200, 300 mile range battery electric vehicles, are they? Matt, what do you think? No, well, I mean, it's, um, they are, I mean, they're, they're certainly growing their, their kind of EV sales, but, uh, they also have a very large kind of plug-in hybrid business that that's growing. Um, the, mm. the one company I was actually going to say, and, and I'm sure there's lots of others like this, but when I went to Monroe and Associates to kind of tour their facility, they had um, this brand I'd never heard of called a Skywell. Um, mm. And it was just kind of like a bare bones, you know, EV. It reminded me a lot of like a Jeep Grand Cherokee or something like that. It was kind of that sort of size. Um, but mm. apparently in the Chinese market, it was priced at like roughly $29,000 or something like that. So like the technology wasn't super amazing. You know, the acceleration wasn't <clears> super <throat> amazing, but it was still like, you know, very solid. And it was very familiar in terms of like, if you're not a tech enthusiast or anything like that, um, this drove and felt a lot like just a, a normal, um, you know, like ICE vehicle. So I could, the, the problem I think is, is that there's this um, import tariff. So you know, even if they were to import those into the U.S., they wouldn't be able to do it at that price point. Um, so, uh, so these Chinese companies are either going to need to make factories in the states, uh, which will increase their costs, or you know, get them so cheap that uh, even with the import tariffs, they're they're competitive at least here in the U.S. Maybe they'd be more competitive in, yeah. in other markets uh, like yeah. like Europe. But like that was one I was really impressed with with this Skywell car. I mean, it was lots of space. It was very comfortable. Um, and it did the job. So for like a, if you were comparing like a $60,000 model Y with a $30,000 Skywell, whatever it was, I was like, I could definitely see a huge portion of the, of the market wanting this, the Skywell car. So there, there's definitely lots of them. I think that could compete, uh, but we're probably protected with this tariff. Yeah. And interest. if you guys haven't read, I retweeted at least late last night, but if you guys haven't read that interview, with uh with uh the china tesla china vp uh grace uh released last night a guy uh put a twitter thread out uh translating it using chat gtp uh, into english it's like six 
pictures. You can zoom in on each one to see the, and then go to the next page to read the interview. But there's a lot of really interesting information about the Tesla China EV market and um, that what it's like there. And that Tesla is the unusual one right now by the only one that's actually cutting their prices um, starting this year off just after the 10 year subsidy has expired for uh, new energy vehicle cars at the end of last year, while BYD and the others are actually increasing their prices because, um, you know, the customers are not, uh, you know, are not, uh, there's just less subsidies apparently. And so Tesla is kind of doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And on one hand, you could say that Tesla is, you know, um, you know, trying to steal market share now from the other EV players in, in China. But on the other hand, Grace says that she doesn't see them as competitors. She sees the gas cars as the comp competitors as kind of adoption picks up even more steam in China so that they're all kind of on the same team, just getting more traction from the gas cars. Uh, so I think that's a different way to frame it that not enough people do. A lot of people just think there's like a limited amount of EVs to be sold in China. They don't realize that the adoption is still increasing at a you know, fast rate in China potentially versus, you know, the rest of the world. So yeah. let's do one more question. We're just, we're way over an hour here. So, all right. From Ed Jones on YouTube, uh, question in the January 22nd in the January, 2022 conference call, that's, I guess uh, a year ago, Zach and Elon said energy could grow two to four X in 2022 Q1 through Q3 are well below that prediction. So Q4 would have to be huge to get even two X versus 2021. What do you see for the fourth quarter of 2022 and the first quarter of 2023? Matt, I'll let you take a stab and then I'll have a final word on that, I guess. Yeah, so Q3 did see a big ramp. I'm 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 just looking at the the Q4 deck from last year just to see what the total uh, energy storage deployments were. I mean, that's the the big thing is the energy storage deployments. So like last Q4 of last year, just for comparison, uh, they did just under one gigawatt hour of stationary storage deployed, but that was actually lower than most of the other quarters. So. Um, like to me, I wouldn't necessarily read this as exactly like two to four X, the, the total 2021 um, either revenues or storage, um, but rather the, the the kind of fact that Lathrop is ramping. And so you're going to see like a, a, a two to four X increase on where they were, call it over like the last 12 months on average. Uh, to where they will be sometime in the next, you know, 24 months from when this comment was made. Um, there, you know, there's that concept of like S curves ramping. You can, like, a, a six month shift can can have like a very meaningful like multi X impact on on the total output that's calculated. So, um, to me, like the exact timing and like whether you know this will hit in Q4 is is not necessarily the the right thing to 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 focus on. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, which I alluded to earlier, is that like the revenue recognition on these projects. It's a lot different than than cars. Like the cars, they they sell them very quickly, um, so they're not just like hanging around in inventory. But um, with with mega packs, uh, they use uh, how how nerdy into the weeds. Is, I, I I'll skip some of the nerdy accounting details, but uh, suffice to say that the the products once they're <coughs> produced at the mega factory, it's not like six days later they hit the you know the income statement as revenue. Um, it, it, we, we don't know the exact kind of timeline of how long it takes, but a lot of it is dependent on, uh, when the, the projects are actually placed 
in service and there can be things like the utility interconnection with the grid that can take a long time that can delay uh, final recognition of it so um the the ramp of the factory is the important thing to watch with the understanding that um it may be a little bit longer until that that ramp kind of makes its way through the income statement and, and becomes like a, a positive revenue and earnings catalyst so uh this will definitely ramp it wouldn't surprise me if we're at like um i don't know three or four gigawatt hours in q4 and, and more mm -hmm. than that in uh maybe like maybe four gigawatts in q1 or something like that and that'd yeah. be phenomenal because that, that would be like really meaningful impact so yeah that's my my long rant yeah, and Matt knows the details way better than me. I'm excited for your chat tomorrow on Farzad's channel. I'm going to listen to that uh, as well. Um, but I would just be cautious. You know, I've seen this, you know, the hype with everything Tesla's been doing for years. And manufacturing things is is hard to ramp. You know, like software, you could ramp with a click of a button. You can duplicate it a million times, you know. But but and you just need people to sign up for it, you know, with the key punch strokes, minimal keystrokes, and so forth, and then it ramps up real fast, you know. But manufacturing things, and then you know, getting the order book right to match demand to match supply at the right time, you know, it just it can be a lot slower. I think, even though in theory it maybe could ramp like really, like we've seen as the Tesla semis, you know, like it's it, you know. I, I would be very surprised if they produced 10,000 semis this year. You know, I think that was like Definitely. the number thrown out. I, I would be, I would not be surprised if they only produced 500 Tesla semis this year. You know, I would not be surprised, you know, um, and then 5,000 next year or something like that. So the ramp can be a lot slower. So the mega packs, I don't know what goes into it. It looks like a big complicated block of metal battery materials. You know, I just know it's not a simple, like, piece of gold or something pulled out of earth, you know? And, and so, <laughs> so it, it, manufacturing that, getting them in delivered and in place, purchase agree, you know, all the stuff that has to line up. I, I could see a much slower ramp than people are anticipating. And maybe theoretically capacity is for 10 gigawatt hours a year of mega packs to be produced out of this facility, but maybe we don't get there for three years from now or four years from now, you know, it might not, maybe it's just like one gigawatt hour of that this year and then three next year well, and then five. You know, it is 40 gigawatt hours. So even if they're only oh, at like 10 gigawatt hours, that, that's the thing yeah. that maybe has me a little bit more bullish. We're doing, I, I don't know the exact number, but something like five gigawatt hours of stationary last year. They did power, two power walls mostly last quarter. Okay. Uh, packs. Um, Mega packs. The, the okay. power walls are just so small. Um, yeah, they're tiny. So but didn't they used to have like just a bunch of power walls stacked on top of each other, and that was like their mega pack or something? I forgot what it was called. Well, that was I think the the like power pack or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah but yeah, like the, the the economies of scale with the mega pack are just like so <laughs> huge. So like if you think of like the the number one cost component is, is obviously the cells, which are somewhere yeah. less than a hundred dollars uh, per kilowatt hour, right? So the power um, pack is like 10 power walls, right? How many power walls would it be for a mega pack? Yeah. Then or something like if, if you had to put the whole um, amount of batteries. Well, what's a, what's a, um, a power or a, what's a power wall? Is it like seven it's kilowatt right hours? I want to say something like that. Like eight, eight or 12. It's like I can't eight. Remember. It's not 10, but it's like so one mega pack, I think is like roughly three gigawatt hours, something like that. So, um, it's like a thousand. No, many more times. 3, it's like so a thousand how many zeros? I'm off uh, zero, power. Right? It'd be it'd be like a factor of a million. 
Um, what three million power walls is a mega pack? I don't buy, believe that. No way. So so kilowatt thirteen kilowatts. Somebody says in the in in the yeah. uh, comments, uh, a thousand kilowatts like is a megawatt. Yeah. No, a thousand a thousand kilowatts is a megawatt, and a thousand megawatts okay. is a gigawatt. So you multiply those together, you're you're a factor of a million. So um, your one million would get you right. to to. That is right. What? So so if that, if, the, if a hundred thousand people in my town all had ten a power pack, all had ten power walls, which is way more than I even have. A hundred thousand, then one mega pack would be more than all of that combined. Okay. Okay. No. So I. You you are right. I was a little bit off. So I was thinking of the total scaled, like like if Tesla's going to do forty gigawatt hours of, of capacity out of Lathrop, then okay. it would be okay. a factor of like roughly two million compared to your thing. Okay. But for just one megapack, you're right. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a factor of a thousand. Is. Yeah. So a thousand power walls is about one megapack. Okay. I can, it, it, I can it's probably closer. It's, it's probably closer to five hundred because you're you're yeah, talking about like thirteen think. kilowatt hours and yeah. and. It, it maybe it's more like 300 or 200 actually so because it's okay, yeah, the, the mega pack is probably like two and a half megawatt hours yeah, um that seems so, reasonable because so, i remember the power pack was like 10 of them so mega pack would maybe be another 10x on top of that at the most i would think so 200 that seems okay i can believe that maybe 300 maybe so 3.9 megawatt hours so so the the, the rough math would be like maybe about a third about a third of the of the 1000x so like 300 ish okay. x that's pretty good though. Yeah. I mean, so how many of these mega packs are they going to be able to deliver? I guess, right? How quickly can they ramp them up? It's taking them so much time to ramp up the power walls, which are like, you know, 0.3% the amount of battery materials. Granted, they're separate units as opposed to one big unit, but it's taken a long time to get that ramped up. So I just don't know if the power, the mega packs being each one is equivalent to 300 amount of materials taken for the power wall. If they can really ramp those up very quickly, uh, it just seems hard to, for me to fetch. To, to me, it's like the, that's where the economies of scale makes <clears throat> a whole lot of sense because you mm -hmm. like you've got all the cells. Like you've, you've got you're very good at handling all these raw cells, anyways, because that's like Tesla's business, yeah. right? Like, and, yeah. and so they're the the Lathrop factory at 40 gigawatt hours is roughly the same capacity as Giga Nevada, and so they're, they they know how to handle all these cells. And so now you just instead of putting them in cars and doing all the fabrication around cars. You put them like all clumped together. There's like some racking. There's a lot of inverter you need. But to mm -hmm. me, the the, the uh, process is, is much more simple than for like vehicle assembly. Yeah. So um, then like they fit right on a semi truck. It's like ready to go plug and play in the ground. Like they, they've really redesigned this thing to make it as easy as possible to install. Um, so is it the me, size of like a cargo container? They, they, did they make it like the exact size of a cargo container basically? So it could fit in like one of those? Yeah. Like, Years. It's so it fits in one of those those semi trucks. Oh, yeah, great. exactly. So it's they, it was really designed around like being easy and economical to to transport. Shit. So yeah. so like the 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 cost components. So like the biggest one, like I was starting to say, is like cells at less than a hundred dollars per kilowatt hour. Like I said, we don't know exactly Tesla's cost, and they're selling the integrated system at you know five hundred dollars per kilowatt hour. So hmm. um. That and on top of that, there's all these credits and stuff like that, which some of them Tesla won't qualify for. But absolutely, the customer gets a 30% tax credit on that. That's a and that's a very big change with the ITC yeah. that's brand yeah. new. 
So, so the demand will be there. They can sell as many as they can make. Okay, I got that. But how many can they yeah. make? That's my thing. I don't know if they can, just like the Tesla Semi, I think the demand is there, but how many can they really make? I mean, it's less complex. The Tesla Semi, I've read reports, a couple, one or two have broken down recently and Tesla's had to tow it and fix it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's understandable. First adopters, early Model S owners had the same kind of thing. So, but these mega packs presumably aren't as complex machines that they're not going to like be breaking down early on, I wouldn't think. I would think they're pretty like plug and play. Once you finally get it there, mm -hmm. I would hope that's the case, but I'm assuming that there could be some kind of <laughs> problems yeah. within the mega packs early on. They have to figure out overheating or something, you know, things melting or I don't know who knows, but there's just lots of things that could go wrong. It's a whole new thing and ramping it up on top of that. Just like, I'm skeptical. Like, it's, I think it sounds, it's great. not a whole new thing though. Like we'll be there. That, so, and I'm sorry that we've gone so long on this topic, but I think it's yeah. an interesting conversation because like I'm, I'm reasonably skeptical like you are, but I'm definitely more bullish th th than you are. Um, cause this yeah. is not, this, this, it's not like, um, they just developed this product and like are trying to ramp it like the model three in 2017 well, or something for them like that. Ramping it. Like it's new to get to the, it's not a new product. They've been producing it for a little while, but it's like new for them to produce. I don't know how many they sold in the fourth quarter. Maybe like how many mega packs do they sell? Do you think they, well, they delivered did, in the fourth quarter? Like they did. Of them? They did 2.1 gigawatt hours of total stationary storage in um, so how many mega packs in Q2. So, oh gosh, am I going to screw up my math again here? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm trying to put like numbers around, round numbers in place. 500 or something like that? I'm, I'm probably getting that math wrong. Um, okay. Maybe someone in the comments. But, we have some great commenters here. So let, yeah, somebody do the math and, and put it in the comments. But so it, it was a huge step up. It's by far like the most they've, they've ever done was in, was in Q4. But in October, which is, or sorry, in Q3. Um, but in, in Q4, that's when this Lathrop factory really started to, to, uh, commission. So there's October 22nd or something like that. I don't remember the exact date. Um, but there was a report about like the fact that they were actually producing, it's not really confirmed how much, but like it's, it, it is clear that this factory is coming online and starting to ramp in, in Q4. And there's been a lot of pictures of like the, um, um, the, like the factory itself and like all these, you know, mega packs that are going out into the, the shipping facility. And then like you go back a couple days later and it's like a bunch more and the old, old ones have been removed. So they're, they're definitely ramping. It, it's not like, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to get to like 1% of capacity this quarter and then like five next quarter yeah. or anything like that. Oh, I see so, Warren Redlick in the comments joining late here. He says he doesn't know how many of the Q3 mega packs were old version versus the new version. Yeah, yeah so, so they're so upgrading the, the version. Yeah. There's things that can break when they upgrade new version or things they have to iron out kinks on as they ramp. You know, I'm just skeptical of the ramp. I think the product is incredible. I believe the the metrics of gross margins everyone's putting out there. But my uh, manufacturing physical things, especially things like the mega pack, is difficult. I think much more difficult than any of us can understand is my thought. And so I think that the ramping up is going to be slower than people anticipate. That's my thought. Yeah. Um, so that's, so, that's all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So we did, we did 2.1 gigawatt hours in Q3 before this, this ramp. Now, granted <laughs> to Warren's point, we don't know how many were the old versus the new. If you assume Lathrop's fully ramped and then like maybe a little bit of extra capacity for the other uh, factories, that would be like 10, 11 gigawatt hours per quarter. Like once they're like fully ramped and, and like, you know, going crazy. So, so roughly a five X increase potential once they're fully ramped, where do you think they get, you know, from 2.1 to 10, like how, how long do you think, or like, wh where do you think we are in Q4 and in Q1? I would be, I would be surprised if Q4 is more than 
more than three or three and a half. I'd be surprised. I agree. I'd be, I, I, agree I think it you. might be two and a half. I think it could be two and a half. Maybe it's even one and a half. Maybe it down ticks, you know, maybe it's not a smooth linear progression up as they go to the new version, you know? So I would yep. not be surprised if it's even one and a half, you know? So I, I'm not baking in a steady increase of 50% ramping every quarter or even, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, two steps forward, one step back. And clearly it seems like they made two, two or three steps forward in Q3, right? But I, that means maybe they're due for a step back in Q4. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. just skeptical of the quicker ramp that everyone seems to assume. Well, and I do think that's prudent. That's why I wanted to spend, you know, we've gone way over, so apologies everyone, yeah. but hopefully yeah. this is helpful. I do think that this this kind of caution is warranted though. Like just because they did 2.1 in Q4, in Q3, that does not mean that they're going to get to three in Q4. Much or less that they're like even going to redo 2.1. Maybe they switch into the yeah. new version and slows down the ramp suddenly because they have to start from yeah. the new version. Because those were the old ones. And so it, it may very well be the case that like the, the previous quarters, like those, those prod, those mega packs were, went into inventory and then they got deployed in Q3, but like yeah. the total run ra ramp rate is lower. So uh, yeah, yeah, Q4 to me, it seems logical that there would be a slight uptick from, from two one, but um, like, I don't, I think it's going to be 12 months at least and to get to, to like a 10 gigawatt hour per quarter run rate and, and probably later yeah that, i think honest. like three years until they get to that rate or two, two to three oh, years. okay that's my thought yeah i say two years i wouldn't be surprised if it was three years but i'd say 50 50 mark is 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 probably i'll say 20 21 months so 21 one, months. one and three quarters years yeah is my 50 before <laughs> they get to that you know capacity you're saying 10 10 per per quarter the 40 gig, yeah. gigawatt hour capacity so that's but i think a, it could be three years time. or it could be a year and a half or a year a year the best case but i think that's the best case is a year so all right anyway how about that yeah yeah all right well this has been a good chat we went on longer than expected and uh you're going to be on farzad's chat tomorrow talking in more detail about the uh mega pack or mega dud clickbait title <laughs> um and uh yeah we'll see how that goes i'm looking forward to listening to that and Hopefully uh, next Tuesday, um, yeah, this is the first Tuesday in like five or six weeks where it hasn't been a new 52-week low for Tesla. So that's good. We broke the streak. So Yeah, and we've Tuesday, actually gone up like $1.50 over the course of the conversation, which is normally, it's like the opposite. It's like 5% down in the one hour yeah. that we talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of macro market stuff to keep an eye on this week. And we'll see what uh, the CPI report shows on Thursday. And uh, yeah. With that, with that, we'll wait till we'll see you all next week. Good chatting, everyone. All right. Thanks, everyone.